Very quickly, take uh, your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 2. People always wonder when the pastor gets up if it's another 45 minutes. I'm prepared for this, so we're, we're good. Matthew chapter 2, I don't know if you've ever tried to catch a train before while it's been moving. I've never tried it because uh, I know my skills and I've seen people get hurt trying that and the like, so I've never done that. But for those of you that have not been with us the last two weeks, we have been going through a sermon series that is just dealing with the prophecies in Matthew chapter 2 that don't make sense. The five stories that you find in Matthew 1 and 2 of the Christmas story, each story has a prophecy attached to it. And for some of them, prophecies make sense. The two we read this morning already uh, about the fact that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and then the fact that Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem, those are prophecies in the Old Testament. You go, those make sense. But then you have the story of Jesus being uh, taken by his father to Egypt, and there's this quote from Hosea that says, out of Egypt have I called my son. And you look at the context in Hosea, and you're going, I have no idea that that's a Christmas passage. Uh, and we explained it, uh, and we're able to go through that. And the next, uh, last week, we went through this passage of the murdering of Herod by the children, and then this passage that is from Jeremiah the prophet, where it talks about Rachel weeping for her children as comfort because they are not. And uh, both of those, you just kind of go, it doesn't have the context. You look at Jeremiah, it doesn't make sense. Well, we're in the very last uh, passage that we're going to look at, and it's another one of these prophecies that if you go and search for it, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense. Not sure what Matthew's doing, but Matthew wrote this under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's not making this up. He's not taking things out of context. But you have the story in Matthew chapter 2, in verse number 19, it says this, But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. He rose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father, uh, Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now you have the story, and the story is just fairly simple. It's not uh, anything difficult. Uh, Herod's died. He died about uh, March of 4 AD, or 4 BC, excuse me. Uh, And uh, he died there, and uh, the message comes that uh, in a dream that Herod had died. And those that had been commanded by Herod to go and slay the children were no longer on a search uh, for this child because Herod was no longer directing them. And so Herod uh, had died and his sons took over. His kingdom was divided into four parts. Uh, Three of his sons took over different parts of this. And Joseph uh, comes back to the land there but finds out there's an individual by the name of Archelaus who is Herod's son and he's taken up the activities of his father. In fact, uh, we know from history that uh, when he started off his reign, he killed 3,000 people just because he wanted to. Not a nice man. And when Joseph comes back to the land, it seemed to be that their intent was to go back to Bethlehem. See, when you read the, the two accounts and put Matthew and Luke together, Luke tells us that originally Joseph and Mary were in Nazareth. 
When you read this Matthew account, you don't find that out. You don't know about that. Uh, And you would assume just by reading the story that they would be headed back to Bethlehem where Jesus had been born, this royal city. They were of the line line of Judah. They were from Bethlehem, this region, that they would return to Bethlehem. But Bethlehem is in Judea where Archelaus reigned. And so Joseph, his father, decided, I'm going to go to the far northern regions of Israel. I'm going to skip through Samaria and go up to Galilee, back to the city that we were in called Nazareth, and we're going to go there and live there, and this is where this child's going to, be, uh, to grow up. And you read all this, and then you get to this, this, this statement by Matthew, and you go, okay, this seems to not quite make sense. And you say, why is that? Well, it says in verse number 23, that they came to dwell in the city of Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. And really, you understand the Greek language, it then says this, that he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, to this point, and most prophecies as you go through the New Testament, it says the prophet said, or it was written in a single location. Here Matthew says, and the prophets said. That's a hint that he's doing something that's quite unusual, and what he's simply doing is saying this, if you look at the prophets, across all of the prophets, you'll find out that Jesus was going to be called a Nazarene. But if you look at all the prophets and you go through your Old Testament, you're going, no prophecies about Nazarene, no prophecies about Nazareth. In fact, if you try and find Nazareth, you'll not find it in the Old Testament. You'll not find it in any records of the Israelites. It's not even recorded in history, in any history books outside of our Bible uh, until about two centuries after Christ that the city's even mentioned. It's a small, insignificant city. So what did this passage say that he shall be called a Nazarene. Where and what and how did he, Matthew, through the moving of the Holy Spirit, say that this was prophesied by the prophets that Jesus would be a Nazarene? Now, if you were to look this up in a study Bible or commentary, you would find three different possibilities. I'm going to give you all three of them. I'm going to tell you which one I'm going to go with. It'll be the last one, okay? The first one is that when you look at your Bible, there is something, and and something that sounds like the word Nazareth in the Old Testament. It's the word Nazarite. When we read this in the English, Nazarene, Nazareth, Nazarite, okay, it sounds like it's close. And so many have run with this and said, well, it was the idea that in the Old Testament you had these people that took the Nazarite vow, which means they would take this vow, they'd allow their hair to grow long, they wouldn't touch dead things, they wouldn't drink fruit of the the vine, they wouldn't do any of this uh, for an extended period of time, and sometimes it was for life. We have an illustration in the Old Testament, an individual like this by the name of Samson. From birth, he's, a, he's taking up this Nazarite vow. He's not supposed to touch dead uh, individuals, which that doesn't happen in Samson's life. And he's not supposed to drink of the fruit of the vine. He does that. Uh, he doesn't follow that very well, but this whole idea of being a Nazarite was something that was a possibility. In fact, as you get to the New Testament, there is someone who seems to have, be under a Nazarite vow, and it's a relative of Jesus by the name of John the Baptist. He seems to be taking up this and that he's living as a, uh, under a Nazarite vow where he won't do certain things and he has this prophesied from his birth. 
But you can't really apply this to Jesus because Jesus wasn't under a Nazarite vow. You know, how do you know that? Uh, do you remember stories where people complained that he was a friend of sinners and wine-bibbers? That he was with people who were drinking of the fruit of the vine? That Jesus actually goes and touches dead individuals? And there doesn't seem to be any indicator that his hair was really, really long. We know that he had a beard, but we, we don't know anything else about that. And so this one, because of the language and the well, the, what we know about Jesus in the New Testament, that he's a Nazarite doesn't seem to fit. So people go with the second idea of what this could possibly be is that Jesus was a, this one's one you wouldn't catch initially, a branch. You go, why is that? Because the word for branch in the Hebrew is just one letter off from the word Nazareth. But it's a very important letter. It sounds the same, but it's a completely different letter. But as you read through the Old Testament, there does seem to be a prophecy about Jesus being a branch. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse number 1 says this, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. It's saying this, out of the line of Jesse, there's going to be one who's going to come and rule and reign. It's like the family tree, and he's going to be a branch of this family tree off of Jesse's line, and this is one who's going to rule and reign. Now, that's a legitimate prophecy from the Old Testament that Jesus was a branch, and we even had a song this morning that talked about the rod of Jesse, uh, someone who is in that line that is going to rule but that's not what this means, that Jesus was a Nazarene. What this means, and I, I'm going to give you what it means up front, and then you just kind of, uh, after this, go with what um, the line of thinking that many people are uh, with when it comes to this. It's saying this, is that Jesus is one who is despised. See, for us, as you, you look at uh, the New Testament and you begin going looking at the story about Jesus and him being a Nazarene, everybody who uses this title is typically looking down on individuals that are from Nazareth. In John chapter 1, you have an introduction story there where Jesus is meeting his disciples and apostles for the first time. And when he comes to Philip, Philip is excited about this and he comes to uh, his friend by the name of Nathaniel. And you have this story, it says this, that Philip comes to uh, Nathaniel and saith unto him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Hey, we found the Messiah. His, he's Jesus from Nazareth. Here's Nathaniel's response. Nathaniel says this, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? I mean, he's not that far away. He, he lives in this town of Canaan, which is much larger, uh, but this small, insignificant town of Nazareth, he's going, what could come out of there? I mean, there, there's nothing like this. In, in our vernacular, you might be saying, they're really backwoods. Or they're really a redneck. You know, that might be the, the idea there, that these individuals are just way out there in the, the backwoods, and, and they know nothing, and they really have no significance. How could Jesus of Nazareth come from there? 
Even as you go through and, and read the story and the account of Matthew as you go through, it does seem to prophesy the fact that Jesus would be of Nazareth as you are in a region of Galilee because when you read in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 12, it says this, when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast and the borders of Zebulun and Naphtalim, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by Isaiah the prophet saying, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtalim, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee, the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light and to them that sat in a region and shadow of death a light has sprung up isaiah prophesied that from a region no one would expect galilee there would be a light that would shine that would bring people who are in darkness bring them to light but people really never took it significantly that jesus was from nazareth there is a, an interesting point in this because when you have the story that jesus doesn't settle in bethlehem Imagine this, if Jesus had been from Bethlehem and grown up there, people would have said, oh, this is Jesus of Bethlehem. And immediately people were saying, hey, this is, this is the city of David. He's of the royal line. I mean, they would immediately assume this. But when they heard Jesus of Nazareth, some people would go, huh? Where's that? Never heard of that place before. Can't, can't be anybody significant coming from there. That he should be called a Nazarene was an understanding of the Old Testament scriptures that individuals, that, or that Jesus the Messiah would be an individual who was despised of men. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3, this statement about Jesus some 700 years before him makes this statement, he is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. You go, what do you mean? He esteemed him not. We didn't lift him up as somebody worthy. See, this statement that he's making is a statement that, yes, he is going to be a Nazarene, but it's pointing to the fact that in that culture, to be called a person from Nazareth was to be looked down upon. In fact, you have an account where Jesus, or excuse me, the Apostle Paul is being accused in Acts chapter 24, and the individual that is there that has brought him to court, Tertullian, is there and making statements about how bad a person Paul is, and he says he's a leader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And so when you go through Matthew chapter 2 and verse 13 and to verse 23, you're basically seeing a whole passage that accumulates with this statement at the end where Jesus is being rejected. The wise men honor him, but all of a sudden they have to flee and go to a foreign country because they're under assault by Herod. When they come back into the land where Archelaus is at, they don't go there because they're afraid that he's going to despise them. So they go to Nazareth, and right from the beginning, you see, even though Jesus has not said a word or done anything, he's already being despised and rejected of men. You say, what do you do with a passage of Scripture like this? Well, the question is this, what do you do with the babe in the manger? He was born in a lowly birth. He was born and uh, raised uh, in a house that was not his own. Borrowed house, borrowed manger. It was not one that was well known and well seen except by uh, shepherds and people in that small peasant town of Bethlehem. 
They did have some royalty that came, but for the most part, uh, this babe in the manger was ignored by the world. And then when this babe finally was old enough at the age of 30, he began to appear on the scene. He was despised and rejected of men. He was despised and rejected by his own people, but he was the very thing that they needed. And you say, so what do you do with this Christmas story? Are you like these people who at the beginning of Jesus' story are despising him, rejecting him, ignoring him? Or are you like those individuals as you read through and you start seeing it with Simeon and Anna and the shepherds and others who are rejoicing that they found this one, the Messiah, the Savior. He is born to bring good news to earth, peace, goodwill to men. This individual, are you one that has accepted this babe in the manger and you adore him? You praise him because not just because he was a baby. No, he's one who came and gave us the very thing we needed. We needed a Savior. And he was born, as we said, to die. And so the question comes, even though he is, as this passage says, he will be called a Nazarene, he's going to be despised. Hopefully you're not of that number. This Christ was born to rescue and to save you. And as we are going to sing here now, he's going to come back again someday. There's a Christmas song that we regularly sing. It is a second coming song. I want us to turn our hymnal to number 87. This one who came and was despised and rejected of men will one day come again and be seen by all men. He's only seen by a select few to start off. When he comes back a second time, he'll be seen by the whole world. And he will come back to rule and reign. And what you have in hymn number 87, Joy to the World, is a song that is referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Joy to the World, the Lord has come. I was hearing it on uh, the CD playing this morning. And uh, you hear this uh, statement where it's talking about uh, let earth receive her king. And then verse 3, nor thorns infest the ground, no sorrows are at, no more let sins. You go, when's when's that going to happen? At the second coming of Christ. And so this song's really a second coming song about what the Lord uh, is going to do someday. So we're going to go ahead and stand. We're going to sing Joy to the World. We'll sing verse number 1, verse number 2, and verse number 4 of Joy to the World. This babe that's despised is one day coming back to be king.